Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. All right, inspiring people and places. Today, we have the pleasure of having another chief engineer from the VA. With me today is Anthony Russo, who is the chief engineer at the VA in Coatesville. Anthony, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, BJ. Great to connect. Great, great to connect with you. For our listeners, Anthony and I only know each other through LinkedIn. I forget exactly how we got connected, but we do share in common that we both went to the military academy a couple of years apart, both engineer officers. So similar glide paths, just a few years apart. Anthony, every show starts with the the listeners kind of getting to know about how you landed at the VA, what your career path was, you know, maybe prior to maybe prior to West Point, through West Point, and then through the Army to to land in Coatesville. So talk to us. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm Anthony. I grew up in Jersey, Burlington County, not too far from where, where you guys are located. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm a cinnamon so, guy. I'm a cinnamon guy, Rich. Yeah, we were uh, there. We go. So we we were in the same uh, some of the athletic divisions. Yeah. Together. So yeah, grew up in Jersey. Uh, pretty much went to went to high school in in Burlington City, right up on the on the Delaware River. But after that, o- always had an interest in the military, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about later. But attended West Point and graduated from there in 2014. Branch engineers. Uh, the first duty station was Fort Lewis, Washington. It was really awesome being being near Seattle, and it, within the army held held a lot of different interesting roles. As soon as I got there, I was assigned to to an infantry unit. It was interesting as a staff engineer, and then as our engineer battalion stood up, I was a platoon leader, and also got to work with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in Seattle District. About nine months, attended the career course, did the the partnership program to get the civil engineering master's degree there. thought that was a really great program. Took a lot out of the classes I did there, actually, that kind of applies to my current job. Also, while there, did, did my PE, PE test and, and application. So I'm currently licensed in Missouri, which I think a lot, a lot of people are. And then after that, I actually stayed in Missouri as, a, as an instructor for the, the basic course, engineer, engineering basic course. So... Primarily did some of the, the military engineering instruction, helped out with the lieutenants with their operations briefings, things like that. And then after that, I actually left active duty in December 2020, stayed on the reserve side as a civil engineer within over in Jersey, over at Fort Dix, was hmm. on a FEST Day team, Ford Engineer Support Team. So after I left active duty, my, my first role was assistant chief engineer at, at Coatesville. Pretty much overseeing the, all the facilities on the campus, and then was promoted in, into chief engineer about a year later. That pretty much brings us to today. So I've been, been serving as chief engineer for a little over a year. So for people who aren't familiar with Coatesville or or a VA system, what does the chief engineer do? What all falls under your responsibility? Absolutely. So our our campus is basically a small town. So it's was built. Pretty much post World War, World War One actually kind of 
right before World War, World War II. So it has that that style of architecture. Every, everything's brick, very kind of grand architecture that that was reminiscent of that time period. But we, we basically have about 40 buildings on the campus, and they, they vary a lot in function. We have about 40 buildings. We have about 125 acres that are pretty much my responsibility to maintain. So real quickly, we're, we're basically a mental health facility specializing in mental health counseling, the substance, substance abuse, residential rehab. And we also have an inpatient mental health unit. We have a nursing home and, and also some of the primary care functions that everyone would probably be familiar with. But overall, for chief engineer, we have to maintain all that and, sec- and secondarily, but just as important, keep everyone safe. So on our campus, we have all the buildings. They're typically three floors. And we have about almost a million square feet of building space to, to maintain. In addition to that, we have the, the grounds, which are 125 acres, like I said. But also in the winter, it's in the roadways. So we, have, we have plenty of roadways, intersections, things like that to, to maintain. And basically for, for the chief engineer, we have the, call it the maintenance section. They have all the, all the skilled trades, carpenters, plumbers, painters, groundskeepers, everything like that, that, that maintain all the government property. We have an engineering group that works on all the capital projects and designs to keep everything, to keep everything as up to date with basically with the healthcare standards that, that are always emerging. And then one unique thing about us is we have a fire department. So mm-hmm. I basically have a fire marshal who's the fire chief. And we have an operating fire department that, that keeps everyone safe on the campus. They do some EMT work as well. So quite a bit going on. As far as utilities, we have a boiler plant, a centralized boiler plant. We have a centralized chiller plant. We also have a generator system that could power the whole campus in case of an emergency. And we also have a well a well pump and a well facility that we utilize our for our water. So quite a bit of utilities in a in a small area. That's basically the overview. So total total number of staff under your leadership? Pretty much we, we have about eighty to eighty five staff, the bulk of it being under the, the maintenance department there. We have about seven different shops, if you will. Got it. On the- Any interaction between you and the Corps of Engineers? Absolutely. So we, we just did a fairly small evaluation of our boiler plant chimney with, with them for some structural aspects. So that, that was kind of an interagency agreement, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But uh, we actually just had them come and do like kind of a professional development briefing as well to just explain, uh, you know, Philadelphia District came out and kind of gave us an overview of what they're working on, what they're doing in the, in the area, which was, which was really awesome. But overall, for Project management, the, the VA typically holds the the major projects. That's a program within the VA for, for the Corps of Engineers to manage. And typically, in excess of $100 million projects. So the, the VA made big news. The VA is constantly making big news. I think it's a political, politically sensitive agency, gets a lot of attention. Right now, electronic health record management system is a huge priority. But last year, they had the asset infrastructure review happen. It seems like all of that work has kind of been stuck in the political game. But will that, does that, did that have any effect on 
what you guys are doing day to day or or what were they what were they looking at you talked about the pre-world war ii buildings I'm sure that comes with you know plenty of opportunities to to reinvest and and renovate the facility absolutely so in the in the lead up to this podcast i mentioned you know did you want to discuss a leadership challenge i would say this was probably the biggest leadership challenge i had within the va so for a short background the the president trump when he was then basically commissioned the asset and infrastructure review i think in 2018 to to review everyone's facilities the operating costs and things like that for for the va and for whatever reason, the, the results did not come out until 2022, so last year, almost about a year ago. And believe it or not, the report basically said Coatesville is going to offload all of its outpatient services and mm. basically become a very substantial outpatient, or sorry, I forget exactly what I said, but they're going to offload all their inpatient services, basically become a an outpatient-centric location. And it was very, very unclear whether we would stay on our site or move. The way the report was written, very it, it posed more questions than answers for sure. So that came out. And of course, there was a direction from Washington of, you need to address these immediately. The medical center directors had to address those immediately. So we had this very short notice meeting, with the leadership to explain that. And then we had to, they announced it on an all-employee meeting to say, these are just recommendations. It was done by a, a third-party company that these are recommendations to to the president, to, to Congress on what to do. And it was, it, like I said, it posed way more questions than answers. So the direction from our leadership was really clear. Everything engineering is doing is going to continue because we have to keep the care up for the veterans. So we're not going to take this as something that's set in stone. There's just simply recommendations. It was very difficult to hear for sure because we actually have a lot of, quite a bit of patient population in our area, even though we're not necessarily in a city. We're not directly out of Philly, but we kind of have quite a bit of veteran community out here. So it was very hard to hear for the community, hard to hear for the staff, but we, we basically had to be open with them saying that we only have so much information to give out and we will definitely update everyone on what will what will be occurring as as a result of this but that so much had changed between 2018 and 2022 that we were proactive with putting out that information about well for instance we had a hospital that was about a mile away that we kind of partnered with they mentioned that in the report saying well brandywine has actually closed since then. So some of these things that they're basing the recommendations off of are not accurate. So the, the big thing there was just communication to the, to the staff. The director and our associate director was really clear on, you guys are going to continue with everything because this is only recommendations. Turns out they were, they were spot on because the whole thing got stopped and I believe it was Congress because they were supposed to see a commission to review everything and in a bipartisan fashion, a group got together and just said, we're not going to approve anyone to be on there. <laughs> so they kind of, they kind of squashed um, it, squashed it there. But we had, we had a lot of support from our Congresswoman. She was a, she's a veteran of the air force. So 
they actually brought the secretary of the VA to our campus about a year ago to, to show all the, it really, part of it was to see, you know, what, what construction are we doing? What, what do we have planned? But just to see the, the care for the veterans that we were providing. So that was a tough, tough couple of months, even though it wound up being pretty much squashed, as we kind of mentioned, but just keeping up the, keeping up the communication and kind of the motivation was, was key for, was key for us in our department. And we, we have so much to do with just patient safety as it comes to utilities, things like that, just life safety, fire department. So we just, we had to, we had clear messaging from our leadership and that, that helped me. Yeah. And we just had open communication with, with the staff. You talk about patient safety and, and we talk about mission critical assets, mission critical infrastructure, and obviously, a healthcare system, a campus, is all mission critical when when you're, you know, when you're when you're doing clinical healthcare. What what other types of projects are you dealing with right now at the campus, from either renovations or upcoming upcoming capital projects that fall in your in your lap? Absolutely. So we we pretty much try to balance out between infrastructure and. Uh, clinical renovations or, you know, kind of interior renovations. So our utility projects that we have coming up is, is our steam distribution system. Or it is in need of some updates and some of the materials there have been updated, like the codes and standards that, that govern what, what we put in. Uh, the water mains as well, we're, we're adding uh, redundancy to the system, which is all part of the making sure that we have the ability to reroute potable water and things like that to, to the buildings. And that's part of the VA's design manuals and guides. So we're always trying to balance out construction. Those are some of the bigger ones. Roofing is, is one we have going on right now. We have about three roof projects going on. And that, that really, not only is that just for the integrity of the building, but gives you a better patient experience, you know, as you're not having roof leaks and having to shut down rooms and services to the veterans. Some of the interior ones where or actually, we have another project to basically build a new building, new inpatient mental health building, and as well as a new renovated building for a, a domiciliary where we have our residential rehab patients. So those are some of the big ones coming up for, for our capital projects. Basically, what we're, we're attempting to communicate with the, the leadership of, hey, we know that the campus was kind of laid out when things were way different, like parking's kind of an issue. But, you know, campus was laid out when there weren't as many cars in circulation and not everyone had a car. And so we're just kind of working on both avenues at once. I think we've got a pretty good uh, team now that can identify the issues and really work through good solutions. So we're definitely always trying to balance out infrastructure and clinical, even though we try to tell the stake, some of the stakeholders, hey, you're not going to really see these infrastructure projects, but we know you like heat in your office, so <laughs> you know, I think you'll appreciate the result. But you, you know, you might not see the the project happening. You don't appreciate often. it until you don't have it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like some of this mission critical infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But that's kind of our way of communicating: is hey, the, they're intertwined. You can't really have patient care without some of these infrastructure things that we're that we're working. So talk to, you know, you talk stakeholders, when you have patient care stakeholders, 
I'm, I'm assuming those are medical leads. How many of those do you have to, to service inside of the Cutsville campus? We, we, have, we have a lot of different services, even though we're primarily mental health. Something that seems quite simple as, part of, as far as identifying the stakeholders for a project tends to be not so simple, basically. So we, we're working on, we're definitely always striving to identify the stakeholders, characterizing them as you would with, in project management, and just identifying the, who, who, who we need to get input from. We, I was talking with someone else today, like, we just think like engineers, like we don't necessarily care if something kind of looks ugly in between starting the project and finishing it. It's just, we're just doing our work where if you get some of the other points of view, you find out that that does have an effect on veterans when they come and they, maybe they see something in process that, that doesn't look so put together or it's in the middle of construction, you know, that, that does have an impact on the overall experience of coming to Coatesville. So identifying them is definitely important. We have, we have a lot of different stakeholders. So we have a lot of a program staff that they have, they have the, a pretty narrow field of view, but they're, they're, they're experts on it. So we always try to bring those in. The, the typical ones we work with almost on everyone is, is definitely like the police for security. Patient safety is a big one. They, they know so much stuff that they just have a totally different viewpoint from an engineer. We're, we're just going yeah. straight for, for function and, and things like that. We're, we have to keep in mind that a lot of the patients that come are not, they're there for a reason, right? They're not, they're not in tip top shape or they're, they, they have different, different limitations that we probably didn't think of as engineers, even though we, we should be thinking that way. So definitely patient safety, always working with the supervisor, like the clinical supervisor in that area to get the input, especially with, with the beginning of a design, when you're getting into conceptual design where you're trying to really just lay things out. But we always we always are striving to work with the, the nurse manager or the clinical leader within there. Our our clinical members in our head, I'll call it the head shed, I'm sure you know what that you know, <laughs> the head shed. They're they're really keyed in with our projects now is our our directors basically made it a priority about modernizing and updating the facility. So working with them, keep them updated on on where we're at with different projects is key as well. I mean, there's a lot of stakeholders. So I'm sure you know the definition of stakeholder includes, you know, anyone who kind of thinks they're affected or thinks they're interested. They're <laughs> a stakeholder. You know, you have different strategies to to communicate and, and update with them. But a lot of people have been in Coatesville for a long time and they have seen or not seen updates that, that they think should be there or things like that. So Keeping everyone updated, you know, I'm, I'm pretty constantly on town hall meetings for for the the whole campus, is kind of updating people on what's going on, what what's going to be done next, and, and I was it's just surprising to see something that we're not even thinking about. Somebody will say, "Is this going to be updated?" And we're like, "That was kind of a blind spot." Where yeah, in other avenues, maybe you didn't you didn't get to talk to that person, but definitely reaching out. And, and keeping up with, also trying to keep up with just healthcare norms and codes and things like that. They're always changing. So, big part of my role now is just communicating, trying to trying to transfer information 
setting up the meetings is definitely important as well. So I want to I want to talk about your role and the transition out of active duty to to kind of civil civil servanthood and your decision making process, your exposure to the Corps of Engineers out in Seattle District, how that may have played in a part. So just talk to us. There's there's a lot of people listening that are maybe engineer officers trying to figure out what their next step is. You've got this big engineering construction industry and you have the two sides, public, private sector. I've probably talked to 15 captains in the last year trying to figure out what's, you know, what's, what's best for me. And it's very individualized, but I like hearing from your perspective, how you thought through it. And, and then I want to talk about how you, you know, stepped into a GS, you know, a deputy to a, to a uh, chief engineer position relatively young. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go back to just, I'll, I'll sell civil engineering all day. So um, <laughs> I, one thing I really just looking back on things with, with, you know, attending West Point doing civil engineering is with civil engineering. And even, even I would say even within the basic course for, for officers, you kind of get a really good set of information because civil engineering has so much to do with just infrastructure. You really have to understand most disciplines on a basic level. So, and even one, one thing I didn't mention is I actually spent one coast, one semester at the Coast Guard Academy. What that did to my schedule was kind of interesting because I had to take a, a couple mechanical engineering classes to make it work with my credits. But looking back on it now, that was really valuable for me because I'm working with electrical mechanical engineers, structural guys that are more of an expert in it than me. So just just all these different kind of exposures within the civil engineering program at West Point. We had to take electrical engineering, we had to take thermal thermal dynamics, we had to take a lot of different classes that just give you this full picture. And and believe it or not, you kind of remember it because you just just kind of become second nature. You're not an expert, but you know, I can I can kind of converse with the the electrical engineer in the office, even though he's taught me a bunch of stuff. I can kind of understand what he's saying. But as far as I always kind of knew I wanted to get into the construction field and I always kind of knew that. I was always kind of fascinated with building things. I come from my, my dad's side of the family anyway, you know, they were, they were auto mechanics. So they, they kind of, they're, they're engineers and, and everything like that with, with the hands-on work. But I really enjoyed the, the aspects of like construction management, what we learned about at school. So I, I kind of knew I was going to be on that track. And, and like I said, even when you get into two or three engineers out there, you get a pretty good exposure to everything in a, in a general sense. So, and, and even that's just the way the army does it. So it's a little bit different what you learned in school, but it's just the, the broad nature of everything that I learned at West Point was really, really helpful, I thought, as well as in the Army. So as far as the, the time with the Corps of Engineers, that pretty much confirmed what I what I thought I was I was interested in. So did worked on Milcon on the base. We basically had a four building project for a special operations battalion. And we just did construction management. I was working, I was basically a project engineer, you know, working with the with another engineer and a QA rep in the resident office to do a bunch of different 
it, it was a whole bunch of different things because we had four totally different buildings. One was a motor pool. One was an operations center, you know, like the battalion area. One was a working dog kennel. And the other one was a data center, basically. So that, even within that project, you're just still stretching your brain to yeah. go between the two buildings. You have a heated floor in the dog kennel. You have a, a data center, which has all kinds of electrical and, and telecom stuff going on with it. And then you had the operations thing, which had an arms room with the, the three-foot thick concrete walls and things like that. So it was it was just so much exposed to that it was really just, I just learned a ton from that. And actually during that time, I went to Puerto Rico after the hurricanes to help reestablish the power grid. That's another example of having that background infrastructure. knowledge. Right, yeah, infrastructure and background knowledge about electrical, because that was another high profile project and thing that, that I kind of worked on that you had to, to keep up as the, I was the COR for six weeks to keep up with the supplies and, and briefing area engineers and stuff. You, you had to have some working knowledge of electrical, even though that wasn't, that's not really a civil engineering thing. So you still have this information about, and it just a general understanding about what, what's all included that that was really helpful. So the big, the another the big thing I learned, you know, from West Point and just being a, in a platoon leader positions and different things, staff engineer was uh, just ask questions. So if you, one tech NCO I had at West Point, he just said, you know, if you show up at the range and you ask the private, how does he operate his machine gun? He will be overjoyed to tell you, you know, what he's doing and, and how it works and stuff like that. And, you know, as an officer, maybe you only did that once and you not really know how it works or maybe you do but just the fact that you're you know you're still in charge of this person but you're asking them questions and you're getting to know them better through finding out how they operate their their weapons so i always took that through i'm still doing that you know it's now now in this role there, i have plenty of experts below me that are, are more well versed and definitely in different topics than me so still still always asking questions and, and keeping that up but did you when, when when you were transitioning, did you did you know for sure you wanted to go work in a civilian capacity? Did you know for sure you wanted to go to a VA? Or were you looking around at USA Jobs, or were you considering private sector? Yeah, I was definitely I was definitely looking for Corps of Engineers. And so after the the USACE assignment, I was like, yes, yeah, this, this is great. You know, kind of everything I was looking for. Went back to Leonard Wood, did career course, stayed and did instructor while doing PE and all that. But I, I just started out and said, hey, I'm going to look federal. I really like the Corps of Engineers. Learned a lot, like I said, met a lot of good people. So I was pretty much, yeah, I was on, I was on USA Jobs, just kind of searching around to see what other agencies had, had engineers, because I really didn't know other than Corps of Engineers. Started seeing a bunch of roles for the VA, some with the GSA. So I kind of learned more about how they manage all the public buildings, federal buildings and in a lot of the cities and things like that. Didn't, didn't know there was a whole engineering department at, at the Capitol. That was pretty oh, cool. Yeah. Architect of the Capitol. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's awesome. Definitely follow their LinkedIn page if you're not, because they put up really cool photos and stuff. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know about any of those other ones other than Corps of Engineers, which is looking, looking to do that. We knew we wanted to come back East Coast. 
but not not exactly set on anywhere specific, but somewhere in Washington, D.C., Philly, maybe New York area. But yeah, during that time, I learned a lot about the different agencies that were hiring engineers. And I kept seeing the VA, just kept seeing the VA come up and reading about, of course, definitely connected to the mission. A lot of my family was in the military. So the mission was really appealing for sure to just to just check it out and see what what an engineer at the, in the healthcare did. So seeing those job announcements and researching some more was was definitely helpful. And that that's pretty much how I found the VA had a has a very robust engineering engineering career field. Basically, if you're an engineer, you can really make your way up to to chief and, and even higher than that. There, there's kind of a nice progression there for, for engineers in the VA. That's great. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE-verified, service-disabled, veteran-owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. All right, going to move to some rapid-fire questions, but, but before I go to the prepped ones, Roebling Steel. Did it have any impact on your your childhood? Are you familiar? No, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Oh, really? All right, we're gonna have to talk about that offline. I'll. Sure. I'll it's it's sure. right by Burlington. It's like okay. a yeah. We'll we'll talk we'll talk offline. I'll put it in the show notes. There's a sure. Corps of Engineers did a remediation of a environmental site that was. It was the Roebling Steel Manufacturing Plant. And there's like this little village next to, it's right, I think it's Burlington. Yeah, um, it's, it's right down it's the street. right on the water with like tiny houses. It was almost like indentured servitude back in, back in the day. But they now have a, the Corps of Engineers built a museum up there. So I figured being from there, big civil engineering. All right. Favorite quote. I think my favorite quote is from from Roosevelt, you know, the credit belongs to the man who's at the arena. I love that quote. I just think it's 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 fitting for for today, you know, when, when we have so much commentary on what what everyone's doing and things like that and it's just, you know, he he talks about how you can you can strive again and again, but if you if you continue to work hard and and get somewhere, you know, you'll you'll be much more better off character-wise and Things like that, where you are, even if you're failing, you know, it's better than someone that's sitting on the sideline, not, not trying or, or not attempting to become better. So I like that quote a lot. There's, there's a term for that, that I learned, I think last year, slacktivism, all the, all the commentary about like, what could be better? I like, I like it. Get up and make something better. Yeah. Must read book. All right. So I'm going to say this one because I, I have two boys in the boat. Definitely got to read it. I know some other people said it, but uh, here's another one. This is called The Devil in White City. My brother gave me this book. It's called it's Mandatory Reading me. at MCFA. Yeah. The, the Devil in White City? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, he, so listeners, sorry if you already explained what it is, but I haven't. Uh, Go ahead. Tell, I, I've never talked right. about it. So, uh, my brother hands me this book and he says, This is about the construction of the 1893 World Fair in Chicago. Thought you would like it. Yeah, definitely. And then he's like, well, there's a subplot that there's a serial killer going around murdering <laughs> people 
in the middle of the fair. And he, he also builds this structure, which like allows him to do this without anyone knowing. And I was like, this is the most <laughs> off the chain book ever, <laughs> but it's really cool because it does, it's made in 1893 and the things that, so it's about this guy, Burnham. He's the head architect of the fair and the serial killer is Holmes. But working with Burnham is the guy who designed Central Park, Olmstead. So he does all the landscape architecture and, and landscaping. Burnham basically does all the construction type work. And they, they work together, of course. But crazy how this thing from 1893 is so applicable to today where he he gets in, you know, he starts firing people and he gets involved with the union, the union workers, and he starts doubling people's pay and things because he needs to go faster. But just a great book because it, it's drives all the architecture, structural. The, the fair burned down a couple times while they were in the middle of, or it fell over at least once from the wind. Just a construction wise and engineering wise, awesome book to read. But then you also have this subplot where Holmes is going around using the fair for very bad purposes, and he he's he builds this building. Some people call it the murder mansion or something like that, where he he basically without getting into too much detail, he, he builds this building that allows him to do this without anyone noticing. So he's trapping people in certain places and things like that. Just an incredible story on both sides. I, I read straight through that book, you know, like without stopping. because I thought it was so interesting. You're the first that, one that, on the, on the podcast to recommend it, but it is, it's, yeah. it's an MCFA read for sure. Yeah. And it was cool too. Cause it, there was this whole story about the fire department. And, you know, yeah. it was like everything we have at work was in this book and it was just kind of like really interesting. So that's, that's definitely a must read book. All right. Dead or alive. If you could have three people out for dinner, who would they be? Yeah, definitely one of my, my grandfather on my dad's side. He was a, he was a combat engineer, World War II. You know, he, he landed on Utah beach two, two wow. days after. So he passed away, you know, a couple months after I was born. So it never Never got to say, you know, how how was that experience? Or maybe he wouldn't share, but you know, definitely would want to um, would want to at least open the open the discussion about, you know, always thought about, you know, what would it like to be as PL or, or as commander? Yeah, you know, in in that situation, you know, that would that would really be that would really be something to to discuss. So. That was uh, my dad wasn't an engineer in the army, but he was, so he was all right with me going in instead of. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Joshua Chamberlain <clears throat> from in the Civil War. He was at more places than Gettysburg, but always wanted to thought I would want to talk to him about his leadership of his regiment and how he kind of left a job as a teacher, pretty much to to participate in the Civil War, and I think his story possibly got played up a bit with the. Uh, with the troops that he had taken in that had their, their contract had expired, but he was so, awarded the medal of honor. Good. So the sto- yeah. the story is that, that yeah. he, it, he got played up way more than, yeah. Yeah. than just a little. Yeah. And I, I took a tour of Gettysburg or a staff ride of Gettysburg. And the guy said, I, the name's going to slip me. I'll put it in the show notes. Just had this conversation 30 days ago. But it was basically because he was a history teacher and he survived, he was the one that was able to write about it. Yeah. 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 I've heard that. <laughs> so maybe I would ask him a few questions like, you know, 
what actually happened. Yeah. You know, what, what, what actually happened. But I like the story anyway. You know, I've always, I've always liked the, the concept that anyway of how he was portrayed where, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't try to divide the team, even though he had a unit established and a bunch of other people came in right. that were maybe looked down upon because their contract or whatever it was. But I always liked that story. I, I love going to Gettysburg and Little Round Top, and especially because the engineer guy saved the day out, out there. <laughs> so I thought I always liked that story. So the third one would probably be, we, we were just talking about Captain Sullenberger and how he, he landed the plane on the Hudson seemingly effortlessly. I know it was, he doesn't talk about it like that, but you know, just to kind of ask him, you know, what the heck was that like? Where you did this one of your thousand, ten thousand flight or whatever, and the thing just the airplane just goes out on you. What was that like? And we were we were talking about that with our supervisor about like you know the communication that that he had, the communication skills that he had with the tower and and the crew and everything else would really be cool to just maybe just talk with him about. Staying, staying calm, basically, and, and the training he had, and everything he thought about, maybe when he was landing that plane. So that that was something more recent. All right, last question or second last question: What keeps you busy outside of work? Anything that you're involved in from a community standpoint? You know, you got two young ones, so maybe yeah. not. Yeah, so we're we're definitely getting out and getting out more. Everything's pretty much open back up, so um, pretty much you can find us at swim class right now. Some different, definitely different parks. We've got a bunch of different parks around here. So I was really impressed with the area that way. Yeah, you could also find me working out in the garage. Really, really enjoy doing that. Got some nice setup in there with the flooring and all that stuff. Pretty involved with my church as well out here in Downingtown. Uh, some different men's groups, things like that. But really, kids, kids definitely keep you busy at this age. So That they do. Yeah. All right. And legacy, what do you want on your tombstone? How do you want to be remembered? Yeah, just, uh, I think just someone that, that was able to be a, a strong leader and definitely was, was respected by those that, that I worked with, but probably more importantly that just like, uh, you know, a strong father and, and a husband for sure. Definitely. And you were talking a little bit about the transition of uh, the militaries can be definitely demanding for your family. so. Part of my shift off of active duty was, was for that reason, but definitely, definitely those those few things. You know, uh, definitely a strong father, a leader, husband. As far as just like a hard worker and, and just having integrity to to do what I said I was going to do, things like that, to, to do the right thing when when needed, and and definitely any way or in any way that he could have been of service. You know, he, he was helpful to others, so. Those are some things, definitely. I'll be looking at for legacy. Any closing comments or closing inspiration to our audience? Yeah, I would. I would say you know if you're a if you're an engineer, it's okay to ask questions and and get some expertise from others that it, that are outside of your area of of knowledge. It's, it's okay to ask questions for sure. It's okay to say I don't know. But the habit you would want to get into is, you know, following up, researching, even even in my role as in a leadership position now, I'm still learning from the employees and learning new things pretty much every day 
from even people outside the organization. So as long as you make the effort to uh, follow up, research yourself, it, it'll definitely be worthwhile in the long run to, to get in that habit. There's definitely certain points where you need the credibility of whatever you maybe whatever you study or whatever you're expert in. But I think that will come as far as the time to maybe share that. My role is so much about leadership and engineering kind of at the same time that it, it's okay to it's okay to ask questions of others. And and as long as you maybe as a younger engineer you get into that mindset of research and, and really figuring out how you can learn the best way for you to learn that's that's beneficial for all. So awesome. Anthony Caruso, Chief Engineer for Coatesville VA. Thank you so much for taking time. Yeah, really appreciate it, BJ. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.